Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to... That was probably way too hot. Let me try that again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Law of Self-Defense. I am, of course, attorney Andrew Branca. Thank you very much. Greatly, greatly appreciated. See if everything's uh, working okay. Sorry for the slight delay, folks. I decided to put this show together at the last minute and thought I had enough time to get all the uh, all the plates spinning on YouTube, on Rumble, on Twitter, and for our Law of Self-Defense members. Let me just make sure this is, in fact, all working. Uh, let's see. That's YouTube. That's Rumble. That's the Law of Self-Defense members. Hey, Chuck, good to see you there. Chuck Jr., a longstanding Law of Self-Defense member, and on Rumble. Looks like everything is going good. All right, so impromptu show. Hadn't planned to really to do a show today, but uh, I saw the uh, news break yesterday that uh, Alec Baldwin is suing everybody. He filed a civil complaint, um, really technically a cross-complaint in response to the many complaints, uh, civil suits that have brought against him in relation to his apparently uh, reckless uh, involuntary manslaughter of Helena Hutchins on the set of the low-budget Western movie Rust. Now, I've covered this shooting at great length from the, from the criminal context. And my analysis, based on criminal law, is that it's pretty much an open-and-shut case of involuntary manslaughter based on recklessness, uh, the notion that... Um, we all know that pointing a real gun at another human being is a dangerous thing to do. Um, to A fundamental step to mitigate that risk is to ensure that the gun you're pointing at another person is unloaded. You're the last person in the chain of events. You're the person holding the gun in your hand. It's your responsibility to do that. If you don't do that, you're not using due caution and care in handling of the firearm um, you know you're creating a risk because it's a gun that may be loaded. You didn't check, and you're pointing it directly at another human being. If that gun discharges and kills that human being, you were aware of a risk of death, and you ignored that risk. That's the criminal definition of recklessness. Creates criminal liability as opposed to merely civil liability, liability negligence. And if you kill someone without justification, recklessly, uh, that's not murder. You did not intend for them to die, but it's voluntary, sorry, involuntary manslaughter because you killed someone recklessly. You knew you were creating an unjustified risk of death in your conduct. You did it anyway, and death resulted. No different than if you were drunk driving home from the bar and you ran somebody over. You didn't mean to be running somebody over. That was not your intent. You were just trying to get home. But you know that driving drunk creates an unjustified risk of death to others. You engaged in the conduct anyway, and you killed them. Um, so a bunch of people sued, uh, besides the criminal liability, which, by the way, is my area of expertise, use of force law, criminal liability. It's not civil liability. I don't do much work in the civil realm. The use of force legal principles don't change very much. Uh, the legal threshold for proof of guilt slash liability is different, of course. Uh, in a criminal setting, if someone were claiming self-defense here, which they're not, of course, uh, no one's claiming this was an intentional shooting, so it can't have been self-defense. Self-defense necessarily would have to be an intentional act. 
Um, but I don't do much work in the civil context. My concern is mostly, can I keep you out of a cage uh, for the rest of your life? If I can do that, you can always make more money. I always tell my clients, just assume you'll get sued and, and lose the lawsuit. That's just the way those things tend to go. But it's not my primary area of focus. In fact, I was scheduled to be on a very prominent uh, commentary television show this week. And it was all scheduled. I was all set. And at the last minute, they informed me that what they wanted to talk about with respect to the Alec Baldwin shooting was not the criminal facets, but the civil facets, the civil suits. And I was obliged to tell them that I don't really know a damn thing about the civil suits in the Alec Baldwin case. I haven't been tracking them. I, it's not my area of interest. And I urged them to find someone else to take my spot on the show. I don't know if they did that, but we did agree that I would appear some later time on a topic where that was more appropriate to my area of expertise. But that's how strongly I feel about it, folks. I'm not just going to appear on a talking head show as some kind of expert on the civil law issues here uh, when I myself wouldn't claim civil law as an area of expertise in this context. That said, I know a little bit about it. And because I know a little bit about it, I thought it might be interesting to step through this cross-complaint and specifically in the context of seeing whether it in any way mitigates Alec Baldwin's criminal liability. Is there anything in these many, many pages, 40 pages of civil cross-complaint by Alec Baldwin that in any way would mitigate his criminal liability here? Because there are theoretical things that could mitigate his liability. Uh, because, for example, the, his, his criminal liability for involuntary manslaughter is premised on his knowing creation of an unjustified risk by pointing a gun he has not insured was unloaded at another human being, ignoring that risk. He didn't check to make sure the gun was safe. And Helena Hutchins' death resulting. If Alec Baldwin did not know that was a real gun, well, then he wouldn't have any reason to believe he was creating an unjustified risk of death. If he had, for example, believed in, throughout this entire event that this was some kind of inert mock-up gun that was incapable of firing live rounds, well, then there would be no recklessness. But of course, he's never claimed that because to claim that he would have had to claim it at the beginning. It's too late to claim it now. Throughout, throughout this event, he knew he was handling a real gun. But in theory, that would have been uh, an explanation that would have relieved him of recklessness in this case. Uh, we don't have that here, of course. Um, and, and the notion that Alec Baldwin would not know that a, a real gun is dangerous is is so nonsensical, it's almost impossible to talk about. First of all, we all know guns are dangerous. Second of all, he's handled guns hundreds and hundreds of times on various movie sets. Third of all, he's on the board of a gun control organization that exists because guns are dangerous. That's their mission. So <laughs> the and any thought that he would not know that a real gun was dangerous is ridiculous, and, and there's no suggestion that he didn't know it was a real gun. So what we have here, of course, is Helena Hutchins was killed, and uh, uh, Sousa, the producer, was injured by the bullet fired from um, Alex's gun. And uh, so we have a death and we have a serious injury and uh, lawsuits, lawsuits started flying uh, immediately from everybody. And I haven't been tracking them because civil suits aren't really interesting to me. They're so often settled, settled on factors completely independent of legal merit that they become less a matter of legal analysis than they do just the people's 
subjective judgment calls about whether it's more cost effective to settle or not settle. That's different in a prosecution. If you're being prosecuted by the state, they're taking you to trial. You're going. You're having the fight uh, unless you're willing to plea out and no one's going to plea out to a, a manslaughter uh, charge on, on these facts. But a civil suits, sometimes I cover them and then they just go away. And it's, it seems like a lot of wasted effort. Oh, yeah. So I have a different mug today. Somebody noticed. Um, this mug is from my good friend, Greg Widmar. He goes by Moto Jitsu. That's why that's on the mug. He does. Uh, he's on a mission to make motorcycle riding safer, to make the riders safer, to help prevent people from unnecessarily um, crashing. Hey, Uncivil, if you want to come on, uh, you're more than welcome. I'll send you the link in just a moment. Let me let me finish this. Um, this. Um, Ode to uh, my buddy Greg Widmar, Moto Jitsu. So he does motor motorcycle um, instruction, mostly YouTube videos, books. I've been riding motorcycles all my life. I think the work Greg does is amazing. Everything he teaches about motorcycle riding and how to make it safer is based on personal empirical study. Like many fields, uh, motorcycle riding, there's a lot of people out there on the internet who are just repeating bullshit they've heard other people say 10,000 times. A lot of the instructors out there are barely better than the students they're teaching. They really don't know what they're doing. Um, lots of people believe things that simply are not true, and they would know they were true if they would test them. And one of the things I love about Greg and his work is that he tests everything personally on a huge variety of motorcycles. He's not just an outstanding rider in his own right. He takes tons and tons of training by, by expert riders, professional racers. But he tests all these things, and he experiments, and he learns what actually works and doesn't work. And the other day, I happened to catch Greg on one of his uh, lifetime YouTube streams. Uh, so I said hello in the chat, and uh, he saw the chat message, and he did this. Let me see if I can pull up the little video I have here. Of uh, Here it is. So this is Greg on the left. There's me on uh, my comment saying hello. And uh, Greg, by the way, was out to my house last summer. So my wife had actually, I was a fan of Greg's for many years. And we had, uh, I'd been on his show a couple of times myself. And um, so we'd been communicating for quite some time. My wife was aware, Miss Emily was aware uh, that um, I was a fan of Greg's and admired what he did, followed his instruction to the best of my ability. And she actually arranged for him to come from San Diego where he lives out to Denver and stay with us and spend a couple days teaching me personally, which was about the most amazing uh, birthday present I could possibly have asked for. Uh, so we did that. Greg and I spent a couple days uh, riding around here, the, the, uh, the foothills of uh, the front range in Colorado. And it was an amazing, very informative, very educational experience. So I really appreciated that. But I saw Greg the other day on a show. I said hi in the chat. And this is what Greg had to say. Law of self-defense. Oh, what's up? So everybody, this is very important. 155 people watching. Go to lawofselfdefense.com, I think his website is. So Andrew is the nation's leading expert in self-defense law. So if you want to get in a fight with someone and think, oh, it's just self-defense, you could go to jail. You could spend $100,000 in lawyers, even if you win. And you're an absolute idiot if you don't go pick up his book. Seriously. I read that book and I had, I talked to him. I went, So I went to Colorado. He's who I went and hung out with. Um, after thinking about all that stuff and listening to the things he teaches on YouTube channel and Twitter, now it's like you could not pay me to get in a fight with somebody because of the five things that are needed for self-defense. If one of those is not there, it's not self-defense and you're screwed. So um, go check out his stuff, Law of Self-Defense, his YouTube channel, Twitter, and everything else. It's like really important. 
you think you're a hothead and want to get in a fight and you're a tough guy in self-defense, you're, you're probably going to go to jail. So don't do it. It ain't worth it. Uh, glad you're here, my man. Hope everything's good. All right. And that was it. So obviously, when I saw that, I felt obliged to return the favor to Greg. If you ride a motorcycle or even thinking about riding a motorcycle and you're not following Greg on YouTube, on Instagram, whatever social media he's on, he's definitely on those two. You're out of your mind <laughs> because riding motorcycles is dangerous, dangerous. And it's your obligation to yourself and your family to do everything you can to mitigate the risks. Folks, I will never give up riding. I love it. It's my psychotherapy, but I do everything in my power to mitigate the risk. I've got four kids. I've got a wife. I've got people I have to care for. Greg's teachings made me an enormously safer writer and, and a more technically proficient writer as well. So, Greg, thanks for the kind words. It's Moto Jitsu. I'll be using your mug today, brother. Uh, and you don't have to see him personally. He, he um, It's not like he schedules classes around the country or anything. His, his teaching is mostly uh, over the Internet. If you happen to be in San Diego, he does occasionally do one-on-one -on -one trainings there. He doesn't charge for them. <laughs> do you believe it? He does one-on-one -on -one trainings for free if you happen to be in his area. So, word to the wise. Okay, so that's what I wanted to do with Greg. I'm going to clip this out and send it to him just so he knows uh, knows that I followed up. All right, so we have this civil complaint. Let me pull that up real quick by Alec Baldwin, technically a cross-complaint. So he has, uh, he's been sued by a bunch of people. Lots of people are suing each other. Here it is. So here's the complaint uh, filed in uh, California, County of Los Angeles, where all these complaints are being filed. I'm not going to dig deep into jurisdictional issues here. The cross-complaint of Alexander R. Baldwin III for negligence, indemnification, and contribution. Um, so, uh, and these are all the people he's suing. Lots of entities here, right? This is how civil suits go, folks. You, you just sue everybody, everybody who might have any possible relation there you go. Uh, and a lot of these people have sued each other and sued uh, Alec Baldwin. It's a very complicated set of affairs. But he's now uh, filing, filed across. Oh, Mamie Mitchell was uh, one of the producers on the. Uh, one of the producers, one of the first people to file suits. And uh, she's filed on a number of grounds, negligence. And then she had a couple of grounds, assault, uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, those latter two were thrown out by the, uh, by the court. Um, and the reason she wanted to pursue those, and she's represented in that suit, by the way, by Gloria Allred, for those of you who know attorney Gloria Allred and her reputation. Uh, but the reason they had added assault and intentional infliction of emotional distress is because you can get punitive damages for those. And you cannot get punitive damages simply for negligence. So she lost those two counts, so to speak, and she's left with negligence. So there's no punitive damages available to her anymore. But anyway, she had filed one of these original suits. So now uh, Alec Baldwin is hopping on that with all the parties involved with his cross complaint for negligence, indemnification and contribution. What do those three words mean? Well, negligence is claiming that uh, these people had some kind of legal duty to him and the, the legal duty in law school, we would call this a tort, uh, a legal duty to uh, generally act reasonably and responsibly. And if you don't do that, if you act unreasonably and irresponsibly and you cause harm, uh, that was an act of negligence and you're legally liable for the damages that you caused. 
Uh, and the other party would have to prove your negligence by a preponderance of the evidence in a civil suit. That's what negligence is. It's not criminal liability. It's only civil liability. So no one's going to jail over negligence. Um, the difference between negligence is you did something wrong and you should have known you were doing it wrong and caused the damages, but, but you didn't actually know you were creating a risk. If you actually know you're creating the risk and you do it anyway and cause harm, now you're acting recklessly and recklessness is higher state of mind, mens rea, than negligence. And it can, it does provide for criminal liability. Uh, so Baldwin's shooting of Helena Hutchins, in my view, was not merely negligent. It was certainly that, but it was beyond that. It was also recklessness. Everyone knows pointing a gun at another human being without checking to make sure it's unloaded first is a dangerous thing to do. I expect if the script had called for Adam Baldwin to point the gun on his own head, he would have made damn sure there wasn't a live round in it before he did that. So he knew he was creating a risk, I believe. Ignore that risk. Death resulted. That's involuntary manslaughter, reckless manslaughter every day of the week, twice on Sunday, as I've discussed at length. Here, he's only alleging negligence. They've caused him various damages. They've caused him emotional distress. They've caused him uh, financial loss, uh, jobs, for example. He wasn't offered things along those lines. And of course, there's also another risk here. So when, he, when we say negligence, then we have indemnification and contribution. So not only has he suffered his own financial losses, but he's at risk of having to pay money to other people. All these other people, or many of them, are suing him separately. And he could lose those suits and have to pay those people money. So say there's five people who win against him in civil suits and he has to pay all of them money. By indemnification, he's saying, I want the people I'm cross-suing here to be responsible for my payments. If I'm found li liable in other suits and have to pay people civil settlements, I want to be indemnified. I want to be covered for the cost of those payments by these other people because they're really responsible. So I want them to pay my civil bills if it ends up I lose in civil court and have to pay anybody. Uh, contribution is is a kind of a similar concept, but it, it's it's slightly different. It's saying, hey, uh, if I, Alec Baldwin, have to pay $100 million to other people, I want these parties I'm cross-suing here to have to pay some of that, to contribute to that. So they'll have to pay whatever, $50 million, whatever the, the court might decide. So indemnification is where they pay. They just, they're actually assume liability for the civil suit payments. Contribution is they contribute some share towards those payments. So that's what he's asking for here in this suit. And of course, he's demanding a civil trial. Uh, as usual, folks, as we go through this, I will certainly answer questions from our law self-defense members. We got a few people in there. There's Chuck Richard, Stogies and Boomsticks. Welcome, folks. Welcome. Yeah, it's an impromptu Saturday show, so I don't expect a lot of uh, a lot of live viewers, but all of you who are here are, of course, uh, very welcome, and I'm very pleased to have your company, as you might imagine. And um, and I forgot to follow up with Uncivil Law. Let me see. Sorry, Kurt. Let me see. Copy the guest link. Uh, what's the best way to connect with Uncivil? There he is. All right, Uncivil Law, if you're still here, I just sent you the guest link. You're more than welcome to come on board. I know, I know uh, Kurt wants to cover this case himself as well. So uh, maybe he does want to join this particular show, and that, that, of course, would be fine. But 
if he's got the free time and he'd like to join us, that would be great. Uh, and I will also go to the, here's, there goes the train folks. There goes the train. It's great. It's great having a train outside your office when you do a lot of uh, live streaming. Okay, it doesn't look like we have any uh, super chats yet or questions from the members. So let's start going through this cross complaint. By the way, before we even get to the cross complaint, let's assume that all these claims, that Baldwin's claiming all these other people are responsible. And by the way, they, they may well have responsibility. They're, it's not like in the, there's only one person who can bear responsibility here. It looks like a lot of people did things wrong. Uh, it's possible some or all of these people bear some share of responsibility. Uh, they should have made sure there were not live rounds on the set. They should have made sure themselves. They should have checked prior to the gun getting to Baldwin that it was unloaded. Um, they should have made sure that everything, uh, all the guns and ammo were kept in an orderly fashion. Um, a whole variety of ways that they themselves may have acted in a negligent manner and bear liability, maybe even criminal liability. That would be a stretch in my mind, but I'd be willing to hear the argument. So it's quite possible that lots of people here could theoretically also have liability for the death of Helena Hutchins and the wounding of producer Sousa. But I can tell you what part of their defense against liability will be, and that is that whatever we did wrong, none of that actually killed Helena Hutchins, and that Alec Baldwin himself is an intervening cause. So what's an intervening cause? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I actually can share that. I pulled it up from the uh, Cornell Law School uh, website, so we'd have something to read. And that is here. So an intervening cause. That's an event that occurs after a party's improper or dangerous action and before the damage that could otherwise have been caused by the dangerous act thereby breaking the chain of causation between the original act and the harm to the injured person. It's known as an intervening cause. The presence of an intervening cause can mean that the person who started the chain of events may no longer be considered responsible for damages to the injured person since the original action is no longer the proximate cause of injury. So there's a bad thing that happens for which that person should be responsible but before we actually have a bad outcome, there's something else that happens later between the initial cause and the bad outcome. And the bad outcome arguably would not have happened but for that intervening cause. If that's the case, it's the intervening cause that's actually responsible, not the initial bad act. Now, what might be an example of that? Um, uh, kind of a law school level example. So say, for example, you had uh, Tom and Jeff. And uh, Jeff says, uh, hey, Tom, uh, I'm filleting some fish over here, but I, I, I forgot my fillet knife. Could, you, could I borrow yours? And the other fellow says, sure. But instead of handing it to him, he throws it to him. And the requester gets stabbed with the knife, suffers an injury. Doesn't die right there. Not that serious an injury. Uh, but if they were... Uh, you know, it needs to be promptly taken care of or there could be serious consequences. So the, the guys get together. They they arrange to promptly take care of it. They get they're on it. They're out fishing on a boat. So they get a first aid boat to come out, gathers the injured friend. The first aid boat's going to take the injured friend to the hospital and a storm occurs. And the first aid boat gets swept out to sea 
so that the injured person doesn't get to a hospital in a prompt amount of time. The wound gets infected. They die as a result. Now, was it the thrown knife, arguably a negligent act that caused the injury? Is that the proximate cause of the death? Or is the storm sweeping the boat out to sea an intervening cause? That the victim would not have died of that injury, but for the fact that he was delayed by no fault of the person who initially tossed the knife negligently, uh, he was delayed in getting medical care and died as a result. Well, if the person who tossed the knife was sued for wrongful death, one of his defenses would be, listen, I may have acted in a negligent way, but there was an intervening cause. But for that intervening cause, the victim would not have died of his injury. Well, that's what all these people are going to say. Uh, maybe there shouldn't have been ammo on the set. Surely not. Maybe there were other people who also should have previously checked the gun to make sure it was unloaded. That would have been nice. Um, maybe all kinds of things should have been done differently. But all those things could still have occurred and nobody is shot, killed. Unless Alec Baldwin points the gun at Helena Hutchins without taking a moment first to make sure it's not loaded. He was the last chain, last event in the chain of events. And if he had only done that, none of the other stuff would have mattered. And there was no injury until that moment. So <laughs> I would expect that to be their answer. Of course, there's no mention of, uh, as you might imagine, uh, uh, Alec Baldwin's lawyers make no mention of this concept of intervening cause in his uh, in his own suit. So let me open up the complaint again, and we'll get back to that. All right. Take a quick look again for questions before we dive in so they don't get too late. All right. No member questions. I thought, I thought I saw a couple super chats come in, but YouTube's not always very timely about getting those to me, folks. Let's see. Oh, my gosh, there are a few. Okay. Hey, Branka, what models of Rolex Countum 2 did you get? I'm thinking Submariners, but I would love some more details. Well, the two I recently got were a, a date just. I'm wearing that today. And, um, and uh, Yachtmaster. Very, very nice watches. I have others. I have, I see you say you have a, you say what? I have a Submariner. Oh, I'm thinking Submariners. Uh, I do have a Submariner date. Uh, I mean, I don't want to go through a list of all my watches, but uh, yeah, I'm a fan of, uh, I'm a fan of the Rolex for sure. Uh, Rolexes I would still like to get are, uh, they have one called the Mill Gauss, which is supposed to, it's for supposedly for a scientific context. It's resistant to magnetic, in, uh, uh, fields like if you worked around an MRI machine, for example, I just think they're cool looking watches. Um, there's one or two others I might still pick up. We'll see. I, I mean, it's right now it's a pipe dream because there is no inventory of Rolex watches anywhere. Uh, the demand right now is vastly exceeding the supply. But hey, with uh, with uh, Brandon, uh, uh, you know, force flushing the economy down the toilet, maybe demand will free up. We'll see. Uh, Eric, oh, that was a. Uh, uh, that was from IFID. Thank you very much. $5 super chat. Eric Winberg. Impromptu law of self-defense is the best. Thank you. Uh, Mike, $12 super chat. I'd rather be riding my motorcycle thinking about God than be in church thinking about riding my motorcycle. Well, there, okay, there is that. Uh, shut up, I can cook. $10. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, Ty Branca. What's your opinion of Gavin DeBecker? Never let them take you to the second location yet. <laughs> so Gavin DeBecker uh, wrote a book, um, very, very successful book called The Gift of Fear. 
And uh, I can't cover the whole book here, but basically in, in a nutshell, it kind of teaches the reader, hey, if, if you are going into a situation and it's making you nervous, uh, you know, alarms are going off in your head, pay attention to those alarms where fear is something that's built into us through you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, maybe more. And you, it's important. It's a system that works. And if you don't pay attention to those uh, alarm bells, um, you're likely to suffer a negative consequence. And I, I completely believe in that hypothesis. Um, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to be surprised by what ought to be predictable events. Know when you're in a high-risk situation, for sure. Um, Gavin Becker also advises that if you are ever, say, you know, taken at gunpoint or knife point or whatever, and they want to remove you from where you are to a second location, don't go. And if that means taking a bullet where you're standing, don't go. Take the bullet where you're standing. The rationale is that nothing good is likely to happen to you at that second location. In fact, that's probably the end. I would concur with that advice. I would never go to the second location. There's other stuff that Gavin DeBecker believes in. He's very uncomfortable with private gun ownership, for example. So it's not like the guy's a saint by any means. There's, there's plenty of stuff he, uh, plenty of opinions he has with which I would disagree strongly, but that doesn't mean everything he says is garbage. So that's my opinion of Gavin DeBecker. All right. And the gift of the, the book Gift of Fear is worth reading. I, I, I recommend it. I think it's on our law self-defense recommended reading list if we still maintain that. Okay, so here we go. Cross-complainant Alexander R. Baldwin III, uh, through his attorney's files, a cross-complaint against uh, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. Uh, she was the armorer. David Halls, uh, I think he was a, a second-tier producer, uh, Seth Kenny, uh, I think he's the, the guy who ran this uh, PDQ arms and props. They supplied guns and ammunition for movie sets. And Sarah Zachary, I honestly, I don't remember who she is, but it'll come up in here. Various people involved around the set of Rust or the provision of arms to the set of Rust. So on October 21st, 2021, an accidental shooting took the life of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. See, th this is a lawyer writing, uh, but they know the public's going to read this as well, of course. So when they say accident here, the accident is a legal term of art. It also has a uh, non-technical meaning. Uh, in, in the non-technical meaning, the way humans normally speak, when we say accident, we typically simply mean unintentional. And certainly I think everyone would agree the shooting is unintentional. We have no reason to believe that Baldwin intentionally shot Helena Hutchins. But legally, we use the term accident to mean something quite different. We mean the term accident to mean uh, conduct which results in a bad outcome, but which ha is not an act of negligence, not an act of recklessness. Uh, this is clearly, as I said, in my opinion, Alec Baldwin shooting Helena Hutchins was clearly reckless. Um, so from a technical legal perspective, this was not an accident. This is a misstatement of law here. Uh, and it could have been negligence. It certainly was negligence as well as recklessness. So definitely not an accident. Accident is, accident is where something bad happens and you have no responsibility for it at all. You could not have foreseen. No one, no reasonable person could have foreseen uh, a bad outcome. And that might be, uh, uh, for example, you have an elderly aunt who lives alone in an apartment. You go to visit her and she says, hey, while you're here, could you move that heavy chest from one side of the room to the other side of the room? So, of course, being a uh, nice nephew, you agree to do that. You pick up the heavy chest, you walk across the room, you put it down, and unbeknownst to you, the floor joists are rotten. And the heavy chest crashes through the floor, hits another old lady who lives in the apartment below, and kills her. 
that's an accident. You had no reasonable way of foreseeing that the floor joists were bad or that that bad outcome would result. Negligence would be if you did have a reason to believe there could be harm, but you weren't consciously thinking about it. And recklessness would be that you damn well knew you were creating a risk of that happening. and You did it anyway. So, uh, you know, arguably this use of the word accident would be a, a legal conclusion that's not applicable on the facts of this case for sure. But of course, Baldwin would want to characterize it as an accident legally. So accidental shooting took the life of uh, Helena Hutchins in Santa Fe, outside of Santa Fe, Mexico. Baldwin is holding the gun. They go very passive voice here. Of course, Baldwin is holding the gun that shot the bullet. The gun shot the bullet, <laughs> which discharged while rehearsing a scene after Baldwin pulled back and then released the hammer. They can't get away from this because, of course, he he conceded this on, uh, on national TV. This tragedy occurred on a movie set, not a gun range, not a battlefield, not a location where even a remote possibility should exist that a gun would contain live ammunition. Should does not relieve Alec Baldwin of liability because it could exist. There could be, it's a real gun that can fire a real bullet. And there always can be around in that bullet. The fact that there shouldn't be doesn't mean there can't be. It's a real gun, can fire a real bullet. There could be a real round in that bullet. So you don't point it at someone unless you make damn sure there's not a live round in that bullet. That's how you relieve yourself of recklessness by not knowingly undertaking an unjustified risk of death to another person. And you do that when you're handling a firearm by making damn sure before you point it at someone that there's no rounds in it. Uh, this event occurred under the supervision of a professional art armorer, Gutierrez Reed, 20-something. I mean, I think this was her first real gig as an armorer, but whatever. She was paid for it, so technically she was a professional. Uh, and the first assistant director, Halls, who were hired to protect the actors and crew on set. This tragedy happened because live bullets were delivered to the set and loaded into the gun. And Gutierrez Reed failed to check the bullets or the gun carefully. Who else failed to check the bullets and the gun carefully? The guy actually pointing it at another human being, Alec Baldwin. Uh, Halls failed to check the gun carefully and yet announced the gun was safe before handling it to Baldwin. Is that a bad thing? Could Halls have his own liability here? Yeah, for sure. Of course. Does that relieve Alec Baldwin of liability? Because guess what? Alec Baldwin could have checked himself. He doesn't have to take the word of someone else. If someone puts you in a car blindfolded and said, all right, just step on the gas, go ahead, it's fine. And there's any possibility that there could be people or obstacles in front of you that you would have seen but for the blindfold, are you just going to step on that gas without taking every mitigating step you can to make sure a bad outcome doesn't result? No. I mean, you might end up stepping on the gas with the blindfold on, but first you'd make damn sure there wasn't somebody standing in front of the car. In this context, Baldwin could have and should have made sure before he pointed that gun at another human being that the gun was unloaded. And he could have done that. There was nothing to prevent him from doing that. Him not ensuring the gun was unloaded was his call. Now, might it have been inconvenient? Might it have had added additional procedural steps to the set if he decided to check the gun himself? Sure, we'll see that later in this complaint. But the consequence of not doing that is a dead person, an unjustified risk of killing another human being, which is what resulted. So policy uh, process inconvenience does not outweigh a dead woman, mother, wife. Uh, and Zachary 
the other party here failed to disclose that Gutierrez Reed had been acting recklessly off the set and was a safety risk to those um, around her. Who else was acting recklessly? Alec Baldwin, in my opinion. Baldwin did not know and had no reason to know any of these facts. Well, he may not have known. I don't know. I can't read his mind. Did he have no reason to know? I mean, he was a producer on this film. W was safety 0% his responsibility? I'm not so sure about that. But in any case, it doesn't matter. I don't believe it matters whether he knew these other people were doing things wrong or not. What matters is he knew he had a real gun in his hand. And he pointed it at a woman without first ensuring it was unloaded. I don't care what else happened before then, because if he had only done that, the death would not have resulted. Let's see. Um, Baldwin did not know, had no reason to know any of these facts, but cross defendants did. Kenny and PDQ were the principal ammunition suppliers. Gutierrez Reed was the armorer. Halls was the safety officer. And Zachary was the prop master. Okay, now we know who everybody is. These cross-defendants are professionals who owed a duty to those on set, including Baldwin, to keep the set safe. I would concur with that, and their failure to do that may well be negligence. It doesn't relieve Baldwin of liability. I mean, just imagine that Baldwin was a, a pilot of a plane, and he acts recklessly, and the plane crashes, and then he tries to say, well, you know, th that person, he, they didn't check to make sure the fuel was right, or the, uh, the there was air in the tires, or that the... Yeah, there were enough parachutes on the plane. I mean, lots of people could bear liability. That does not relieve a pilot of flying recklessly. He still did that. Everyone set, everyone on set, including Baldwin, expected and trusted them to do so. Hutchins never would have instructed, the victim here, of course, would have instructed Baldwin to point the gun in her direction and pull back the hammer if she thought the slightest possibility existed that it was loaded. Baldwin, who shared the same state of mind as Hutchins in that criminal moment, would have done so, wouldn't have done so under such circumstances. But he did so. He, that's exactly what he did. He pointed the gun at her when there was the slightest possibility. The possibility was not zero. There was not lead poured into the chambers of that revolver so that a bullet couldn't be inserted. It was, in fact, possible for a round to be in the gun. We know that because there was one and fire, and kill Hutchins. So there was the slightest possibility. The only way to make sure it was a 0% possibility would have been for Alec Baldwin, with the gun in his hand, to take a moment and ensure there were no live rounds in the gun. Hutchins couldn't do that, unless she took possession of the gun back from Baldwin, and then when the gun went back to Baldwin, he should have checked it again. Let's see. Uh, there can be there can be no doubt that others have suffered from these other people's negligence far more than Baldwin has. This is this is the a real character trait of Baldwin's. First, he acknowledges that other people have suffered, and then he really wants to talk about his own suffering. Hutchins lost her life, and her young child lost his mother. Producer Joel Souza was shot on the shoulder and has suffered physical and emotional pain, though by no means comparable. Baldwin must live with the immense grief and the resulting emotional, physical, and financial toll caused by the fact that cross-defendants' negligent conduct, assurances, and supervision put a loaded weapon in his hand and led him, Hutchins, and everyone else on the set to believe his directed use of the weapon was safe. There was one way for Baldwin to know with certainty that his directed use of the weapon was safe. Take a moment, make sure there's no live rounds in the gun. 
He didn't do that. We all know pointing a gun at another human being without ensuring it's unloaded is creating, in the absence of justification, an unjustified risk of death to another. Uh, more than anyone else on that set, Baldwin has, has been wrongfully viewed as the perpetrator of this tragedy. Wrongfully? I would say no. By these cross claims, Baldwin seeks to clear his name and hold cross defendants accountable for their misconduct. And they may, they may be, they may have engaged in misconduct and should be held accountable. That could certainly be true. Seems likely to me, uh, but that does nothing to relieve Baldwin of his own liability. Um, the parties, uh, I'm not going to go through all this. It just says where everybody lives jurisdiction. I'm not going to go through all that jurisdiction is the uh, Los Angeles County. Um, factual allegations. So here we have um, just background information. Rust, the movie, is conceived. Here, the, here they uh, Baldwin's lawyers are trying to minimize his apparent authority. Uh, sure, he was a producer, uh, but he was a producer without authority outside of uh, some creative decisions. He didn't control who got hired, who got fired, what their qualifications were. Kind of uh, more of a, an executive producer kind of role, although I don't believe they use the phrase executive producer. But uh, in any case, uh, that could all be true, by the way. So uh, normally we think of a producer as somebody who has uh, is making command decisions about things like hiring, um, the practical day-to-day operation of the set, and so forth. Um, and that person would normally have liability. Normally you have vicarious liability for what your employees and agents do in the course of their work for you. That's how... Uh, Johnny Depp was found liable for a couple million dollars worth of defamation against Amber Heard, not because of anything he said, but because of claimed defamatory statements made by Johnny Depp's lawyer. Johnny being responsible for his lawyer's conduct because the lawyer was, the jury believed, acting as an agent of Johnny. So your employees and agents, if they engage in misconduct in your employee, you can have vicarious liability for that. So what Baldwin's arguing here is that, all right, that might normally be the case for a, a real producer, um, but I wasn't a real producer. I was a producer of very limited authority and input and control. And that, that could all be legitimate. That strikes me as a legitimate argument uh, that he would not be responsible for their negligence. Uh, Rust had six credited producers, uh, one, two, three, four, five, and the sixth one is Baldwin. Uh, all the other producers had a lot more responsibility. Baldwin didn't even uh, finance this movie except to uh, give up part of his salary for the movie. Um, I guess he must really be desperate for gigs. It's been a while since Baldwin was in a movie, I suppose. Um, let's see. And none of this really matters for uh, with respect to Baldwin's criminal liability, of course. If Baldwin was a nobody, an extra on the set, getting paid $15 an hour to be there, um, no credit in the film, no actor credit, much less a producer credit. And he engaged in this conduct and pointed a real gun at someone else without first ensuring it was unloaded and killed them on the set. It would be the same involuntary manslaughter based on recklessness as for Baldwin. The fact that Baldwin was a, a, a named actor, was a producer, none of that has anything to do with his criminal liability. Let's see. Uh, then they have a lot of stuff in here about uh, emails, exchanges, communications, indicating that uh, Baldwin had limited authority. So he wasn't picking the armor. He wasn't deciding who was doing safety, all that kind of stuff. Again, I just talked through all that. It doesn't really matter in terms of his own 
um, criminal liability. The hiring of Gutierrez Reed, Baldwin had no role in hiring Gutierrez Reed. He didn't know she was being considered, didn't recommend her, weigh in on her hiring. She was hired by other people. That's all fine. Um, the weapon involved, the prop weapon, and when, when us not in this industry think of a prop, we think of like a rubber pistol that might be used in a college play. Um, here, a prop simply means an item in use for, for the movie. Um, and and th those are often real guns, folks, real guns, at least in America, because in America, real guns are relatively inexpensive and easy to access by movie producers. And you use blanks and they, they weigh the same, they move the same, they make the same sounds, they they function in the same way as a real gun because they are real guns. Um, we might wish to live in a world where there was realistic looking props that were routinely used by the movie industry instead of real guns, and then we wouldn't run these risks. We just don't live in that world. And again, if, if Alec Baldwin could have credibly argued from the start that he had no idea the gun in his hand was a real gun, that he thought it was a non-functional, non-firing prop, well, that would have been a substantive legal defense against any charge based on recklessness. But he's never claimed that because it wouldn't be credible now. Uh, let's see, procurement of the ammunition and prop weapons. Uh, so here they have some interesting photos. This is from a PDQ, which is the supplier of the weapons. And they're making a point here that the premises were in disarray. So the guy was very disorderly, um, you know, just... Just a messy household, buckets of bullets around, things not labeled or stored in a, in a tidy way. Uh, could this all be negligent conduct that contributed to the death of Helena Hutchins? Sure. Sure. I would be amenable uh, to those arguments. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, you'd want to hear the defense argument as well, uh, the representative of the PDQ. Maybe all this is in a different facility than what he uses for actual movie. I don't know. I, I, I would just be making things up. Uh, but certainly, uh, if I were hiring somebody to provide arms uh, for a movie I was producing and I went to their facility, I wouldn't want it to look like this. I would like it to look damn tidy, precisely for safety reasons. So for sure, PDQ, the supplier of the gun, could have their own liability. Uh, the FBI analyzed a bunch of ammo and found it uh, a bunch to be dummies, but a bunch to be live. Um, unclear how many of these were you know, mixed up. We don't, I'm not sure we really know for a fact whether or not the bullet that killed Helena Hutchins actually came uh, from PDQ. It could have. Clearly, they had both. They could have accidentally put a live round in a box of dummies. Um, but... I know some people in the movie industry, and it's not that unusual, on, on, at least hasn't been in the past, on sets where guns are involved in the movie. So there's a lot of downtime in movies, and sometimes the actors would take guns and get some live ammo and just go shoot in the desert. So I'm not sure we know exactly where the live ammo came from. There was live ammo on uh, Baldwin's bandolier, apparently, being worn by him. Uh, that's a bad idea. Right. I mean, most of us who spend any time around guns, we know that, if, for example, if we're going to clean our guns, we generally try to do it in an environment where there is no live ammo. So once we've cleared the gun, we go to clear it. We don't have to worry about a live round finding its way into a gun. A lot of people get shot killing an unloaded gun, a cleaning an unloaded gun that goes bang. So, yeah, all of the <laughs> there's a damn training in choo choo, folks. I got to get a choo choo sound effect on my uh, soundboard. I guess I could just record that one, right? I have an actual live train going by. Um, yeah, so that's a bad idea. But who's responsible for that? Did he not know he had live ammo in his bandolier? I would know. Baldwin's been around guns a long time. 
I mean, there's no reason for this, right? You could have drilled hole, drilled holes in the casings so that, you know, there's no powder in them. There we go. So a bunch of live rounds, dummy rounds, live rounds. Uh, Baldwin arrives on the set October 11th, 10 days before the shooting occurs. Uh, let's see. The uh, he, They say he asked for safety training uh, with the gun and that this was not provided. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but he's had lots of training and lots of other film sets and he knows it's a real gun. That's the key. He knows the gun in his hand at the moment of firing is a real gun that can fire a bullet. Uh, and if he's, if he feels incompetent to handle that gun without it suddenly going off in his hand, well, then he should not be pointing it at anybody. And if he's instructed to point it at somebody and he's not sure whether it might go off at any moment, he, he should not be doing that. Because the risk is the death of a woman and mother. Uh, here we have a lot of misdirection. So uh, Gutierrez Reed did not instruct Baldwin to check the gun for himself. So he wasn't told to do that. Does, does that mean he can't do it? Does that mean he shouldn't do it? Because the armorer said didn't tell him to do it? No, no. You, you can be non-reckless on your own initiative. Uh, in fact, she told Baldwin that it was her job to check the gun, not his. And fair enough. That could be true. It is her job. That doesn't make his not checking non-reckless. Recklessness is the knowing creation of an unjustified risk of death to others and doing it anyway. Whether or not whose technical job it is to check it doesn't remove his recklessness. If he's knowingly pointing a real gun at another human being and doesn't first check to make sure it's unloaded. Uh, similarly, Baldwin believed based on prior gun safety training, so he's got prior gun safety training, he received on movie sets the actor should not unilaterally check guns for live ammunition. I don't believe that, but it continues here. They begin to condition that blank statement. If actors want to check a gun for their own peace of mind, so that's possible. Now we know it's possible, right? It's not impossible. An actor can do that. If an actor wants to check a gun for their own peace of mind, they should check the gun only with the armor closely supervising the process. Could Baldwin have done that? Could he have asked for the armor and the armor is available? She can come and closely supervise the process so he can be sure he's not about to kill somebody unintentionally. And if the armor is not available, could he say, well, where, where the fuck is she? That's her job. I'm not pointing a gun at another human being before we determine that it's not loaded. In other words, the actor may jointly inspect the gun with the armorer, but never on their own. Well, of course, he can. I mean, it's not like there's force, some force field, some magic that keeps him from checking the gun. He could check the gun. What they're saying is, policy-wise, he's not supposed to, but he could. So if that's his excuse, he's saying, well, I valued the policy over the life of the dead woman, because that's the consequence. If you strictly adhere to the policy and allow a reckless circumstance to be created. Baldwin had been told during prior gun safety trainings that a gun must be rechecked and cleared by the armor if the actor unilaterally checks the gun without the armor's supervision. That could be true. So what? Check the gun on your own, and then the armor has to come and check it again. Fine. But now you know the gun's unloaded, and you're not about to kill somebody. Baldwin followed Gutierrez Reed's instructions during the gun safety training and throughout this time on the Rust set. And maybe those instructions were inadequate. 
None of this has anything to do with Alec Baldwin's own recklessness. Uh, let's see. Uh, they Soon after arriving on set, Baldwin had dinner with people. They thought they were onto something special. Uh, blah, blah, blah. This is all just background stuff. Let's see. Uh, the night before, uh, the actors, uh, the set union said nice things to Baldwin. Then Baldwin began to learn during that conversation that Rust had some problems, but the only problem was a desire for a new hotel, never mentioned gun safety problems. Uh, again, it doesn't matter whether or not Baldwin knew of prior safety problems or not. What if there had never been a prior safety problem? That doesn't relieve him of his own recklessness, pointing a gun at another human being without ensuring that it wasn't loaded. Uh, then they have some script segments here. There's no point us reading through that. Um, let's see. Key responsibility of the armor and the props master to ensure the security and safety of the gun, ammunition, or props. Sure, key responsibility. Makes sense. Only responsibility? Does that mean you can just point a gun at another human being, discharge it, without first making sure it's unloaded? Nope. Uh, then they just to try to explain away that uh, uh, they have an exchange here that people were out shooting the guns out in the desert. Guterres Reed in particular took the guns to a range, shot them at live ammo. These are all different explanations for how a live round could have gotten in the gun. Um, but it doesn't matter. This is really all, I mean, it's irrelevant for Alec Baldwin's purposes. It may go to negligence of Guterres Reed for sure. But there was always some possibility. There could be a live round in the gun and the gun could fire in the round. It's a real gun. There's always a possibility there could be a live round in the gun and the gun could fire in the round. That's why before you pointed at another human being, you check to make sure it's not loaded. Uh, so Guterres Reed also apparently was uh, trying to suggest, I guess she was messy. There's loose rounds about. I mean, some of this looks not abnormal to me. I have a bag much like this where, where I would go to the range and practice and just have shovel a couple handfuls of uh, ammo into a bag, an ammo bag. Um, this stuff is, you know, the, does it look sloppy to me? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, empty box. We don't even know if this is a real rifle. There's a safe. Uh, is a, a gun resting against the side of the safe? It's not how I would manage firearms or ammunition on a set if I were the armorer. But again, none of that relieves uh, Baldwin of his liability. Uh, some rifles were inspected and found to be loaded with live rounds. That's not great. Again, the bandolier that uh, Baldwin had had live rounds. Um, not good. Could go to negligence of a whole bunch of people besides Alec Baldwin, but does not relieve Alec Baldwin of his own negligence. How the bullet got in there has had no impact on Baldwin's recklessness. We know there was a bullet in the gun because discharge fired the bullet, killed Helena Hutchins. We know the gun was in Baldwin's hands, and we know he knew it was a real gun. And we know he deliberately pointed it at Hutchins. He says all that himself. And that creates an unjustified risk of death, the death that actually resulted. And he could have been easily avoided by him simply taking a moment to personally check before he pointed that gun at Hutchins and started manipulating the controls to ensure there was not a live round in the gun. Uh, Gutierrez Reed gives some inconsistent testimony and other other settings, she claims she checked each round, but maybe not quite. Uh, one of the rounds maybe didn't quite look like a dummy. Again, this all goes to her negligence, but that does not relieve Baldwin of his own recklessness. 
then uh, pr uh, assistant producer Hall or assistant director Hall uh, informed everyone we have a cold gun on set. Uh, they say he says this falsely. Um, I would I would characterize that differently. I would say he he says that incorrectly and maybe negligently, um, but I don't believe he knew it was false, which is how I would use the word false, that you know you're making an incorrect statement, uh, then it's false. Um, should he have checked? Especially if he's going to announce it's a cold gun. If I were to announce a cold gun, I would have damn well made sure that gun was unloaded. So sure, he may have negligence there for sure. Doesn't relieve Baldwin of his own uh, recklessness. Uh, Hutchins is uh, directing Baldwin to point the gun right at her. So he's doing it at her direction. Does that relieve him of recklessness? No, he he could have pointed it right at her and it would have been, have been perfectly safe if he'd first ensured that there were no live rounds in the gun. Now, Hutchins presumably was presuming there were no live rounds in the gun. But Baldwin was the guy handling the gun. Um, Baldwin's pulling back the hammer as required by the script, not far enough to actually cock the gun. He lets go of the hammer, the gun went off. So I, I see a lot of um, YouTube videos and stuff where people try to recreate this event uh, with um, similar guns, identical model guns, perhaps single action um, type revolvers, and they can't replicate it. The hammer, if you only pull it back halfway, it, it either catches on a safety notch or it drops from such a short distance that it doesn't have the momentum to fire the round. And if you cock it far enough so it would have momentum to fire the round, uh, it's caught by the sear and it doesn't fall until the trigger is pressed. But I don't really care about any of that. It doesn't matter. The gun was in his hand. He pointed it at Hutchins. It discharged. I don't care why it discharged. I don't care. Because even if it was some magic event that made the gun discharge, it would not have hurt anybody had it not been pointed at them. And Alec Baldwin is the person who pointed at them. Again, if Baldwin had been directed to point a gun at his own head, you think he would have checked to make sure it wasn't loaded? I do. Uh, then there was a lot of speculation right after the shooting. Um, Hutchins was shot. Sousa was injured by the same bullet after it passed through Hutchins. Uh, helicopter arrived. Uh, you know, transported Hutchins to the hospital. She was probably dead by then. Sousa was taken to the hospital by uh, ambulance. I mean, any gunshot's a serious injury, but apparently it was not life-threatening. So he didn't get a chopper. Uh, the uh, Baldwin was interviewed by the police. I've covered that previously. If you go to uh, our prior content, I think even on YouTube, we have an Alec Baldwin playlist. I've covered all this extensively in the past. Uh, so events after the shooting in the months since Hudson's tragic death, substantial law enforcement investigator resources have been spent to determine exactly what went wrong. Well, we know what went wrong. <laughs> I mean, lots of lots of things could have gone wrong. But in terms of Alec Baldwin's liability, we know what went wrong. He pointed a real gun, a gun he knew to be real at another human being without ensuring it was unloaded. It was loaded. It fired around. It killed someone. That's what happened. Those are the only relevant facts for reckless involuntary manslaughter at the hands of Alec Baldwin. Uh, again, they throw dirt on other people. They didn't hold safety meetings. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And that could all be true. And that goes to their own liability. Uh, there's nothing to relieve Alec Baldwin of his recklessness. Uh, then they have this. They had this in here. So um, the Rust film had numerous scenes in which the actors engaged in shootouts. Uh, as alleged above, for example, the script of the scene Baldwin was rehearsing in the church ended with Colts exploding. 
Baldwin himself and numerous others on set could have been in the crossfire of live bullets had that scene played out. That's true. Maybe there was more than one gun with live rounds in it on that set. Imagine that. Imagine that what you think is going to be a play acting shootout turns into a real shootout. That would have been terrible. But it doesn't matter because that's not what happened. <laughs> None of that happened. This is just speculation at this point. And it certainly has nothing to do with what actually happened, with which was Alec Baldwin's uh, apparent involuntary manslaughter of Helena Hutchins. There are other catastrophic possibilities. Here are still images from the Rust filming where actor Travis Fimmel is pressing a cocked gun with his finger on the trigger to the back of Brady Noon's head. Clearly, both believed the set was safe and the cross-defendants had performed their jobs professionally and competently. Surely, neither would have acted the scene if they knew dozens of live rounds were scattered around the set and the guns Kenny and PDQ supplied were prone to breakage. Cross-defendants' recklessness put everyone in danger. Uh, well, first of all, do we know whether or not this actor checked to make sure the gun wasn't loaded? Because if he did that, if it's he knew because he checked that there were no live rounds in the gun, he's not creating an unjustified risk of death here. An unloaded gun, you know it's unloaded. You just looked. I still would not point one at another human being, but if there's no bullets in the gun, it can't go bang. And if you've ensured it can't go bang, you're not creating an unjustified risk of death. And by the way, no death can actually result. So you can't be facing an involuntary manslaughter charge if there's no dead person. Manslaughter is a killing charge. You need a dead person. In any case, what if they hadn't checked? What if this gun right here was full of live rounds and the hammer's cocked and his finger's on the trigger? He didn't actually shoot this kid. So there's no actual harm done. So there's no reckless involuntary manslaughter. It's not comparable because there was not the same bad outcome. Uh, here we go. The negligence of Gutierrez Reed, Halls, Kenny, PDQ, and Zachary has caused Baldwin substantial harm. Over the last year, Baldwin has suffered substantial damage as a result of the events. On October 21st, he suffered physically and emotionally from the grief caused by these events. Not a day goes by that he doesn't think about it and suffer from the events that happened that day. Baldwin has also lost numerous job opportunities and associated income. For example, he's been fired from multiple jobs expressly because of the incident unrest and has been passed over for other opportunities, which is a direct result of the negligence of cross-defendants, Gutierrez, Reed, Halls, Kenny, PDQ, and Zachary. That could all be true. Every word of that can be true, that Baldwin has suffered harm because these other people failed to do their jobs. If they had done their jobs, there wouldn't have been around in the gun, let's imagine, and so the death wouldn't have resulted. But none of that relieves Baldwin of his own liability. For example, if he had believed this was an inert gun, incapable of firing rounds, well, then he, he would not have been creating a, a reckless, unjustified reckless risk of death because he, he, would, he would not have had any reason to know, nor had known, that there was a risk of death being created. If these other people had acted negligently, they were supposed to give him an inert gun, not capable of firing, but they gave him a real gun, unbeknownst to him, well, then all their, all their negligence uh, would be, he, there would be a disconnect for Alec Baldwin because their negligence would have been the sole responsibility for what happened. But that's not the case here because he knew he had a gun. He knew it could, could contain ammo. He didn't bother to check. He pointed it at a woman. He manipulated the controls. The gun discharged. That's reckless involuntary manslaughter every day of the week and twice on Sundays. 
Uh, so what's he looking for here? Uh, he's saying um, uh, he's just restating every allegation above. Uh, Guterres, Halls, Kenny, PDQ, and Zachary, all professionals who have expertise with live and dummy ammunition, firearms, and movie props. By the way, the same is true of Baldwin. That's all true of Baldwin. Uh, cross defendants are all professionals who were hired to source dummy ammunition, supply dummy ammunition, ensure no live ammunition was on the set. So that's all true. Um, ensure no live ammunition was brought to the set or loaded into the weapons. That's Guterres Reed. Ensure the safety and proper organization of the props. That's the prop master, Zachary. Coordinate and ensure the overall safety of the movie sets. That's the assistant director, Halls. Each cross defendant understood they were being hired to provide their professional services. That's all true. So they have a duty of care. They may have failed that duty of care. If they did that, they're negligent. They're civilly responsible. Unless there was an intervening cause, like Alec Baldwin pointing a real gun that he knew could contain live ammo, not bothering to check, pointing it at a woman, manipulating the controls, and shooting her dead. Uh, Cross-defendant's conduct fell far below the duty of care governing their roles and responsibilities on the set of Rust. And Alec Baldwin's conduct fell far below the duty of care anybody handling a gun owes to another human being. Uh, he describes their jobs again. Guterres Reed was the armorer. Halls was the assistant director. Kenny was the armor assistant. Uh, and he owns PDQ, the company that provides the uh, arms and uh, ammunition dummy, presumably dummy ammunition. Uh, Zachary was the props, props master. As a direct and proximate foreseeable result of their breaches of their respective duties, Baldwin has suffered substantial damages, will continue to suffer damages, uh, missed income, other financial charges. So first he's looking for equitable indemnification to the extent that Baldwin might owe other people money because of a finding of uh, negligence on his part. Uh, he wants them to pay that. He wants them to cover his liability if he's found liable. That's what indemnification is. Contribution would be to the extent he ends up having to pay himself, he wants them to contribute to those payments. Maybe not fully assume responsibility for those payments, uh, but contribute to the cost. And then we have a demand for a jury trial. And that's it, folks. That's where we are with this. Nothing, nothing in here, not a word of it, not a word of it, relieves Alec Baldwin of his own criminal liability for reckless conduct, creating an unjustified risk of death to another human being knowingly because he knows he had a real gun. He knows it could contain ammo. He knows he's pointing at another human being. He knows he's manipulating the controls. The gun goes off and he kills her. That's intentionally creating an unjustified risk of death to others, ignoring that risk, and you have the bad outcome. This is a guy who's been trained dozens of times on movie sets and the safe handling of guns. He knows they're dangerous. We all know guns are dangerous. In fact, he's on the board of a gun control organization that exists. Its mission exists because guns are dangerous. So there's no, there's no claim here that he wouldn't know a gun is dangerous or that he didn't know he had a real gun in his hand. That would be ridiculous. Uh, let's see. Let, let me see if there's questions. Um, uh, Stogies and Broomsticks asks, what difference or similarity do you see in this and Brandon Lee death on the set of The Crow? You know, I, I remember reading about the Brandon Lee death and when it happened all those years ago, but I didn't look closely into it. Um, 
my default position would be anytime you have any event like this, whoever was holding the gun is damn well responsible. Now, there may be other people responsible too, but guns are inherently dangerous instruments. If you're going to point it at another human being, make damn sure there's not live ammo in it. I mean, you shouldn't be pointing it at another human being, but if you are going to do that, when that gun's in your hand and before it comes out of your hand, before you do anything else, you make sure there's not live ammo in that gun. And if you're not competent to do that, get competent. And if you can't get competent, have someone next to you do it while you're watching. Because if you don't know, if you can't be certain there's no live ammo in the gun, there's no way in a million years you should be pointing it at another human being. If you do, you're creating an unjustified risk of death. And if their death results, that's on you. That's involuntary manslaughter. Uh, Richard asks, it's a revolver to go into the corner and cycle through the six chambers fired all six on the floor. That would suffice for the check without need of an armor. You just have to do whatever it takes, folks. You're handling an inherently dangerous instrument. I don't care how inconvenient it might be. The risk of not ensuring safety is a woman's death. Be inconvenienced. The law values the life of the victim more than they do the, the procedural efficiency of the movie set. Uh, let's see if there's any super chats that have come in. Good God, I just cannot, I cannot keep myself under an hour on these shows. All right. Uh, Tarkina Meyer, $5. Thank you very much. Writes, interestingly, I don't see the armor listed on this cross complaint. Wouldn't she be the ultimate one he should sue? She's, she's listed throughout the complaint. So you just didn't see it. That's Guterres Reed is the armorer, young woman. Uh, Alex Goldberg, $20. Thank you very much. Alex, uh, asks, do you have an opinion on EDC and having one in the chamber? Heard mixed opinions, especially with having kids at home, albeit extremely religious about using safes. Thanks and love the content. Look, if you have guns, they're dangerous, folks. Guns are dangerous. Uh, so I don't urge anyone to get a gun. That's a very personal decision. I've carried a gun every day of my life, every day of my adult life, 37 years, pretty close to 38 years now, carrying a gun every day where, of course, where I'm lawfully permitted, which is most of the country. Um, and I've never had a problem, but guns are dangerous. And so it's a function of how responsible you are, how responsible the people around you are. Uh, I think it's perfectly reasonable for someone to decide. I think a gun would be too dangerous in my house, given I have kids. I mean, I've, I'm, I've got four kids. I've always had guns in the house. Of course, we always ensured they were locked up and all that stuff. But if you're afraid you might forget, you don't want a kid getting access to a gun. A kid who themselves is, you know, would be unsafe with the gun. Uh, so I can't tell you what to do. Um, in terms of carrying a gun on my person, I would never carry a gun on my person without a round in the chamber. I mean, nobody does that. That's no police officer is trained to do that. No bailiff in a courtroom is trained to do that. Now, I should say some military military guards in some situations are instructed uh, to carry. They might have a you know a fully loaded bag in the gun, but not one chambered. Um, but you know you're in a very authoritarian structure when you're in the military, and, and your officers are frankly, you know, often they're talking about they got an 18 year old walking around with an AR rifle on guard duty. They don't, don't want him getting uh, you know spooked and just making an instant decision to press the trigger, discharge around. They, they want them to have to go through the extra moment of cycling the chamber, but that guy's not by himself. 
right? If he's guarding a base, there's lots of other people. If, if, if the time it takes him to cycle the bolt results in a bad outcome, there, there's actually an aggressor out there. Well, there's other people around for him to back him up. So I personally would not EDC without a round in the chamber. Uh, whether you want a gun in a home with kids, that's up to you and your wife and how you perceive your ability to be, you know, consistently without fail, 100% of the time, safe in the handling and storage of that firearm. Guns are not for everybody. Let's see. I'll refresh this because I did see a couple more come in. While I was jabbering away. Uh, Denmark, radar. I like Denmark. I've been there in business a few times in uh, prior careers. It was, uh, it was very nice. Very nice. Uh, lots of tall people. Lots of tall, thin people. Very different than America. Not as tall as the Netherlands, I don't think. The Netherlands was ridiculous in terms of height. Also, mostly thin. Uh, the quality of food in Europe is definitely better than the quality of food in America, for sure. It's more expensive, but it's definitely better. All right, uh, Denmark Radar, uh, 50, I guess that's Danish kroner. I don't know what that is in the American money, but thank you very much. Uh, thank you for taking more than one hour on the shows. They are most interesting. Well, that's much, much appreciated. Uh, good luck with the, uh, the Danish winter coming. I know it gets pretty white over there. Uh, let's see. One last look at the member dashboard. Yep, that's it. I think we're all good. All right, folks. Well, if there's no more questions, uh, I've got a Saturday to do too. Uh, almost two o'clock where I am. I'll get back to it. Oh, Gugoku, $5. I can just tell by the title of the stream that I do not think that Alec will not likely win these cases. You know, he, he could win in a civil cross complaint. I think those other people probably did do things wrong, did commit acts of negligence, and their acts of negligence may well have harmed Alec Baldwin. I think his conduct was probably an intervening cause or a superseding cause uh, that may protect them from liability, but he's got an argument to make. But even if they contributed to the liability and should owe Alec Baldwin money for damages they caused him by their negligence, that's completely independent of his own criminal liability for reckless involuntary manslaughter the kino pounder five dollars would you need a concealed carry license for a mini crossbow i read they are considered firearms lol probably the worst weapon for that but whatever well i don't do weapons law folks so i don't know what the weapons law is in your jurisdiction good luck with that uh, i don't own a crossbow don't plan to buy one anytime soon uh, i i prefer nine millimeter for my personal defensive purposes and more than one at a time all right folks until we meet again uh by the way i am traveling uh, next week i'm on a motorcycle trip down to austin texas i'm on a podcast down there uh and again i i'm so bad about this i can never remember it's one of those podcasts where you have to show up in person uh, i believe it's pretty pretty popular let me see um bulletproof workshop is the name, I believe, the name of the podcast. Uh, let's see. Yes, the Bulletproof Workshop. So uh, I don't believe it's live, though, so I don't know. I, I think they record it and then uh, play it on uh, playback after the fact, but I'll be recording it on Wednesday morning. So I'll be in Austin on Wednesday morning for that purpose. 
And uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, I do still plan to do shows during the week. So I do travel with a, a Pelican case with a, a mini studio in it. And I'm hoping to get to my various uh, hotels and Airbnbs early enough in the afternoon to do something in the in the late afternoon, early evening in terms of a show. Wednesday night, I will mention, I will be on Rakata, Rakata Law's overnight show doing, uh, I think it's going to be kind of a men's club show. So it should it will be no tie. So if you've been looking for no tie Branca, um, you can find me Wednesday night over at Rakita Law, and that will be live. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, I am not planning to get up early on Thursday morning. FYI. So you shouldn't either if you're going to join us for that show. Uh, let's see. All right. I think that's about it, folks. Let me get back here. And all right, folks, until we meet again, which will hopefully be very soon. Um, and again, don't forget, you can always get a free copy of our book, The Law of Self-Defense Principles at lawofselfdefense.com slash free book. Free book. That's at the, the bottom of the screen here. This is harder to do than you might imagine. Uh, it's a real book, real physical book. The book's free. We do ask that you cover the cost of shipping to you. Oh, yeah, Ricardo Law is on Rumble. Rumble. Sorry, I should have said that. Uh, my, um, That's where his live streams are at the moment. That's where I'll be on Rumble Wednesday, Wednesday evening. Ricardo Law on Rumble. Uh, you can get the book, lawselfdefense.com slash free book. Uh, I encourage you to do it. Uh, if It's an easy book to read. Five-star rated on Amazon. Don't buy it on Amazon. They charge you for the book and shipping and handling. We only ask for the shipping and handling. So, and maybe I'll take some photos and stuff along the uh, when I, along my motorcycle travels next week. Put them up on Twitter or something. We'll we'll see if I remember to do that kind of thing. But in any case, until we meet again, remember: if you carry a gun, so you're hard to kill. That's why I carry a gun, so I'm hard to kill. So my family is hard to kill. And you also owe it to your family to make sure you know the law, so you're hard to convict. Until next time, I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law Self Defense. Stay safe.